What are some of the practical takeaways from the story of David and Goliath? We have a few of them for you today and tomorrow here on Truth For Today. For those of us who grew up in the church, this is one of those definite stories you and I are familiar with from Sunday school, David and Goliath. But there are some very practical applications to be gleaned from this marvelous passage of Scripture. Won't you join us? This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Courage to face life's giants. 1 Samuel chapter 17 is where we're at. Join us for today's broadcast of Truth For Today, our teacher and pastor now. Once again, here's Pastor Phil Howard. took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones. How do you choose five smooth stones? Up here? He's down here, isn't he? He said, right on the ground, and they say that they probably estimate the stones would be two to four inches. That was common. Maybe, maybe half a pound, maybe a quarter of a pound. What's five of them? Some have projected why five. I think it's for backup ammo, in case he misses. But you do read later on in the narrative in Samuel that Goliath had four brothers. But that never is mentioned here, but it's a nice thought. They kill him later anyway, stones or not. So he gets these five smooth stones from the string, puts them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, With his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Look at this. The Philistine with a shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David, and he looked at David, and he's insulted. This red-haired, ruddy boy who's handsome, and he despised him. Am I a dog that you come with me with sticks? See, the Israelites just had sticks. They didn't have steel weapons. Come on, you got this piece of, you know, walking stick, shepherd Jews. Is that the best? Don't insult me. Give me a challenge. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And I guess it's not too bad to use the name of gods. It's just been knocked off. But he cursed him by the name of Dagon. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beast of the field. David said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I've come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down. Now, this is not a positive thinking course. (laughs) There's a difference between positive thinking and faith. Positive thinkers still can get slayed. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. What, with a shepherd's staff? I'm so sure of it that I'm going to get what you've got to cut your head off. Because shepherd's staffs don't cut. This is how certain he is. Today I'll give the carcasses of the Philistines' army to the birds of the air and the beast of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. You see, 
David is taking the battle between the gods. My God versus your God. This is not a battle between you and me, ultimately. It's between who I represent and who you represent. My God is going to rout you. Not me, by myself, in my strength, but you've insulted the people of the living God. I'm coming to you in his name. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, not by might nor by power, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And the Philistine moved closer to attack him, and David runs towards him. He's running. I'm telling you, it's one thing to say what you'll do, but when you run right into the face of the enemy, he's running at him. Stone hits him in this remarkable, this young man who taught him this. And he runs up there and throws it. You read in the book of Judges, the Jews were very accurate with these slings. But I'm sure a divine hand was guiding it and put missile speed behind it. And whoom! Hits this giant. Some scholars went so far to say hit him in the leg. I don't know where they came up with that. Hits him, he falls to the ground. And David, to make sure he's dead, runs to him, slings the stone, hits him on the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard, and he killed him. He cut off his head with the sword. And the Philistines saw that their hero was dead. They turned and ran. My, my, what a story. I never forget hearing it as a boy. Fascinated. Why did God put this story in the Bible? Israel faced an impossible situation, and they were stalemated because they had no one leading them that was directed by the Spirit. There was no faith represented in the armies of Israel when David showed up. And when David shows up, there's two things we know about him. He's a man after God's own heart, and the Spirit of God came upon him from the day he was anointed in 1 Samuel 16. So we know that this is God's kind of a man. The heart he has for God is pleasing God, and he's a man that the Spirit of God wants to use. And so that we find out permission is granted by God to have impossible enemies or impossible situations. You can count on it. God had predetermined this impossible conflict. Why? So that God will work out his plan so that God will reveal his man. God created and allowed a crisis of the two armies to come together. And God is going to show that there's always two armies, and only can the armies of God conquer when there's somebody that is trusting God. You can be God's people and still be defeated. 
You can be God's chosen nation and still be routed. You can be God's chosen people and paralyzed in fear when all the time God's looking for somebody who believes that I am bigger than the opposing enemy. Uh, the paralyzed army is paralyzed because they've got a king that they wanted that had all the physical specimens, and what they traded was this. They traded a visible leader who lost the invisible presence. And now God's going to show them in this army. There's a boy that I'm with. You don't even know it. You don't even know he's been anointed. I did it in private. And I'm going to send my boy, my man, to this battle. And you will still look down on him because he only has the implements of a shepherd. He has the age of a young man. He has none of the credentials to win this kind of battle. But there is an invisible difference. I am with him. And it's so today. The enemy has large visible resources. And this world is energized even itself by an invisible force called Satan himself. And sometimes, though, in this world, since it's enemy territory, the people of God are often uh, have, we look so, we're like David against the Goliath. Uh, we don't have Hollywood that makes movies to get out our message. Hollywood can undo what we teach on sex on one good movie. We can teach on sex and purity and morality for a year, and they can put out one movie in which millions will pay money to go and be said, do it a different way. There's giants all over, and enemies of the army we represent, the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's six ways I think David in the story responds to an impossible situation that maybe we can lay hold of, that it might help us. The first thing I think he did that's beautiful is David recognized who the enemy was. That sounds so simple. <laughs> so simple. But until you know who the enemy is, you, you can never fight God's battles. Because when the boy shows up, I see at least three enemies at the camp. I see the man at the camp that's going to chase him like a dog for 10 years. I see his arch rival that's going to be throwing javelins at him and having him hide out of the caves of Agilum and running down there at the Dead Sea and treat it like he's a criminal and he's a very temperamental, moody man. David's already been playing in his court in chapter 16. He knows that an evil spirit is tormenting this king of Israel. It's a pathetic thing to see. And they may have already had some scuffling. We don't know. But David always knew that Saul was not his enemy on his part. It was never David's job to knock off Saul. David even had counselors that told him, God has put Saul into your hands. Kelly, God's doing you a favor. And David, the man after God's own heart, knew he had never been anointed to kill Saul. Two, 
He did not treat Eliab as his enemy. He didn't come down there to win a battle with his brother. <laughs> he didn't get into a shouting match with Eliab. Eliab never had like David. David knew that. But David had gone down there, and what he recognized was the true enemy. The true enemy represented a false god and was a threat to the armies of Israel. I would say this to you. One of the best things you can learn in the Christian life is, who is the enemy? I don't know if you remember the story of Samson, where when the Jews one time, he was working so much havoc that the enemies of the Jews said, go hand him over to his hand tied or we're going to hurt you. And so they go to Samson. They said, Samson, they're after us. They say, we've got to turn you over. Let us tie you up and turn you over to them or else they're going to hurt us. Samson said these words. You can tie me up. You can bind me up. And you can turn me over. But make me one promise. Don't you fall on me. Because God never anoints me to kill fellow Israelites. Know this, dear believer. God has no power he'll ever give you to conquer a fellow believer. And until you quit attacking God's people, until you quit being critical of God's people, until you figure out who the real enemy is, you can never win God's battles because God will never anoint you to hurt his own. He's big enough to do that. You've got to recognize who the enemy is. Sometimes he might be using the mouth of a Peter, but just say, the devil is using Peter, but don't treat Peter like the devil. I sometimes see uh, Christians, that say, oh, I love everybody, and I'm wanting to know when they're going to start loving saints. I, boy, I want to rip, rip one my neighbor. Or, uh, some people just say, no, 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 you got to know this. I am never attacked in my mind to be mad at one of the devil's children. It's always one of the saints. And when you're in this battle, the enemy will always keep you focused on something wrong with one of God's kids. I wonder who's planning that thought. Get mad at some of the hell's angels. They can take it. They can handle you. They don't care if you're mad at them or not. But I've watched the enemy of my soul. He loves to make me take the war to a saint. The warfare is with the accuser of the brethren who's the head of another army that hates the army we're in. And so until we quit, Fighting with ourselves, we can never put our strength in fighting the true enemy. He loves a divided house. It always crumbles. Secondly, uh, he refused negative thinking and criticism. <laughs> he, he refused it. Eliab, you're conceited. David didn't say, oh, I must be. Let's study the navel. Maybe I am. He wasn't even into that. You've got to be able to live with criticism to ever win any battles for God. Someone's going to say you're in it for the wrong reasons. Can you imagine? It would look a little, I would be mad at him too if I was Eliab. Where is he getting this courage and this strength? Doesn't he know we've been looking for a solution for 40 days? The audacity of this young punk to come into the camp and to act like he's got the solution. You're conceited. You think you're God's gift of soldiers. 
and dad's only entrusted you with about 13 sheep. No, he wasn't conceited at all. He was insulted that God's name was being blasphemed by them caving in to the enemy. And then he did not take the advice of, I think, a well-meaning king, but he did not buy into it. Myself, I would have been looking for any excuse you could have gave me to get out of this. Right? I am too young. I'm too young to die. Uh, uh, But Saul said, you're not able. Now, he was absolutely wrong. Because was the battle going to be based on the strength of any Israelite or based upon the strength of Almighty God? The strength was going to be from God, but God does not give his strength out to people who are not trusting him. He only dispenses it through the channel of faith. And David's the only one out of all of Israel, because this is what happened. When the spirit left Saul, and Samuel has grown old, the nation is losing its roots. The the battle, there's no spirit of God leading the nation. And all of a sudden, this chosen people that have been led out of Egypt through the Red Sea and miraculously fed and the Jordan River at the swelling of the winter floods stops and they walk across and Jericho falling down after a seven-day march around it. They've lost the sense of their miraculous beginning, miraculous history, because when you lose a sense of God, you lose courage. And David has been not running with the aristocracy of Israel. He's been hanging out with God out in a solitary place taking care of sheep. And when you run with God, you get to believing he could do anything. You get the feeling he's bigger than your enemies. And so he won't listen to the king. He doesn't listen to Eliab. And he obviously is not listening to an unbelieving heart. He listened to the heart that was in pursuit of God. Uh, he refused to use the weapons of the rejected. Saul, once again, I think in a kind gesture, I credit Saul here. Let me give you what I've got. I want you to have every advantage you can. Here's a tunic. Here's a sword. And uh, David says, no, I'll take the implements of a shepherd, a staff and a sling. But God's weapon was not a staff nor a sling. God's weapon is always a man or a woman who believes him. And then he uses whatever you've got in your hands. If it's Moses' rod or David's sling, the sling didn't win the battle and the rod didn't part the Red Sea. They were the weak instruments God worked through. But David knew, I don't need a king's sword. I need a God's power. I can do it just fine with what I've got. I like this. Did you know God will use you just the way you are if you're trusting? He's not trying to make everybody into some, God doesn't have some clone out here that he wants us all to be like. I cannot tell you how much pressure uh, in coming up in ministry there was to be everybody's ideal preacher pastor. Everybody wanting to pour you into their image, to fit their expectations, 
And about the time I thought I was classy, they said, you're from the South, aren't you? I said, are you saying I'm touched? Yeah, you are. You, you sound like country people. You got something against them? Well, you sound like you're from Richmond. Yeah, I am. You, well, you know, need a little bit more, especially when I went to Dallas. i never forget, I was in a theological debate with a bunch of guys, and this one guy says, he may sound country, but he'll win the debate. That's why I love being where I am. It's where I've been all my life. Beethoven was a man that, as you know, struggled with hearing, eventually lost his hearing. When he wrote his ninth symphony, he was totally deaf. He only heard it in his head. He never heard it when the orchestra played it. Just think of that. He wrote it by note from the head without hitting a note on the piano. He couldn't hear it. And uh, Beethoven got word that his, uh, one of his best friends had lost a child. And Beethoven was very crude, was very rough, because the loss of hearing, if you've been around people that lose hearing, they're very awkward at times. Because you, you feel left out, you don't know if you heard. So he did not have the best of social skills. But he felt he must, by all means, go to the side of this grieving uh, friend of his. And they say he came into the meeting, he just greeted them, and then he just walked over to the piano without saying a word and poured out his emotions for 30 minutes on the piano, expressing what he felt about the situation by music. And then he went to them as he left and said, I'll be praying for you, or goodbye. Just, he just come and greeted. didn't say probably over 20 words. And later on, this individual wrote these words, no one said less, but no one's visit did more for me than Beethoven's. You see, uh, he used what he had. He did it the way Beethoven did it. And uh, David, there's something remarkable here. He doesn't go through a self-esteem class to start looking like a soldier. I'm, a, I'm not trying to be a soldier. I'm a shepherd boy that believes God. There's something wonderful that God uses all kinds, all types, but there's one common denominator. It's not their accent, their look, or their weaponry. It's how they trust God. That's the great weapon. I think the fourth thing I pick up from this story, and I only see a hundred things in it, so forgive me. He remembered his past victories while facing present challenges. King, I don't need what you uh, offer because you, you weren't there, but uh, I've already killed a lion and a bear. And he says, the Lord has already delivered me from some enemies. Studying God's Word that we might grow in grace, that we might be encouraged in our walk and relationship with Him. You're listening to Truth For Today and Pastor Phil Howard. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us this morning. It's our prayer that our time together has done just that, encouraged you in your relationship with Christ, bolstered you up for the day. 
If you would like to review today's broadcast, copies are available when you contact us. We also have the series today's message was taken from, other resource materials available as well, the recent books authored by our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard. They can all be found at our website, valleybible.org. A lot of resource materials available there, other CDs and series as taught by Pastor Phil Howard recently here at Valley Bible Church. Again, they're all found at our store online, valleybible.org. If you wish to speak with someone directly, call during business hours, Monday through Friday, 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or write to us. 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you'd like to know where we meet for worship, service times, directions, location, it can all be found at our website, valleybible.org, and we would love to see you. Please consider this a formal invitation to join us for worship if you're not involved in a church near you. Again, directions can be found at valleybible.org or by calling 855-833-9864. And again, we mention it from time to time, it bears repeating, as TFT sustainers, financial partners with the radio broadcast, you ensure the continuation of this broadcast here on KFAX. Would you prayerfully consider how you might partner with us financially and then call us? Let us know that you're interested in becoming a TFT sustainer. We'll pass along our quarterly newsletter to you, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil. The weekly video devotional will be available as well. Again, valleybible.org for more information or call 855-833-9864. No gift is too large or too small. We'd love to hear from you. Call us today and then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard 